Beautiful songs. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, band. And uh, enjoyed it very much. So, I'm still in the Psalms. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop apologizing for it. Um, yes, it's the Lord's fault that I'm still in the Psalms. But you know, I, I'm just having a lot of fun as I've been confessing to you, looking at the greatness of God in the Psalms. Of course, the greatness of God is always on display anywhere in the Bible, but there's something about the Psalms. And um, there's something unique. There's something powerful. I love them with all my heart. Um, I could pre- you just could pick a psalm, and I could preach it the rest of my life, and I would be a happy man. I could just preach the same psalm every Sunday for the rest of my life. I would never get to the bottom of that psalm. Because God inhabits these psalms. Okay, These are the words of God recorded by His men, primarily, as you know, David. The Psalm, of 40, uh, psalm 46 they are, I am always with you, God. Psalm of 100, the infinitely praiseworthy God. Psalm of 29, the genius creator God. Psalm 145, the unsearchably great God. Psalm 139, the fearfully and wonderfully personal God. Last week, Psalm 94, the God of vengeance who will judge the whole earth. So last week was a little bit strong, a little bit hard for some. But tonight, tonight, it's just beautiful. (laughs) This awesome God we've been looking at for the last six weeks. He's all in with you. Okay, this is like, yeah, he's awesome, but you know what else is awesome? This, this very real truth in Psalm 34, go ahead and turn to Psalm 34. This very real truth that he's all in with his people, right? He's made no tentative commitment to you. He is all in with you. It's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's complete, total freedom. It's freedom in the world. You don't have to live like the world. If you're a Christian, of course, you're not supposed to be living like the world. If you're a Christian, you won't be living like the world. But you have license not to live like the world because your God is God and He is all in with you. Psalm 34. It's one of my favorite. I absolutely love it. I'm going to share with you again what we've been talking about the last six weeks or so. You must be in awe of God. You can be a church member and not be in awe of God, but you cannot be a go-with-Jesus Christian and not be in awe of God. You'll not go where Jesus is going. You'll not obey Him when it gets hard and it gets costly and it gets expensive unless you're in awe of Him, unless you see Him like the psalmist does in Psalm 34. Let me just share a couple of quotes with you from Paul David Tripp again. Whether you know it or not, your life is a lifelong pursuit of awe. There is an awe longing in your heart. Most of you know that, if not all of you, or you would not be here, right? You would not be here. You know you need God. You know your soul is hungry for God. You know it. You have no doubt. You know it. Trip is right. There's an awe longing in your heart and misplaced awe. Some of you think, well, it's in my family, it's in my career, it's in the money, it's in the sex, it's in, you know, it's whatever. It's, I'll find the awe I'm looking for in some pleasure or some accomplishment or some acclaim. 
The Bible says you'll never find it. The Bible says you'll die in despair. You, you were built to have God. You were meant to have God. And Tripp is right. Misplaced all will keep you perpetually dissatisfied. You'll die dissatisfied if you're not reconciled to your Maker. Every problem you think you have is an all problem, ultimately. <laughs> so he says, bring it all to God. Whatever your problem is, I know you have serious problems. I've lived a long time. I've had serious problems. But you know what I've learned to do? Just give them to God. He's, he's the all-in God. Psalm 34 is true. He's with me. He's holding me. He's protecting me. He's, yeah, He's in love with me. And I don't care how hard it gets. No circumstance in life changes those realities. It does not change the realities of Psalm 34. Trip again. If all of God is not the center of your worldview, you don't see anything right. You see absolutely nothing right. If you are not in awe of Jesus Christ and you are not perpetually cultivating that. You know, it's, it, it's the whole manna thing. How, many, how often did the Jews have to go collect the manna? How often? Every day. Same thing for you. Old manna? It's not any good. You need new manna every day. How do we get the new manna every day? We're in the Word. We're talking to God. We're listening to God. We have to cultivate the awe. And as I, as I you know, was thinking about Psalm 34, okay, I'm going to get it, into it in a minute. But 1 Peter 1.5 came to my mind. Okay, this is, this is a, a real good summary of, of Psalm 34. 1 Peter 1.5 The chosen, the born again, are protected by the power of God. Okay? Now, if you really believe it, you'll go live it. If you don't believe it, you won't. You know, you can be a church member and not believe 1 Peter 1.5. But you can't be a real Christian and not believe it. So, we are protected by the power of God. As I've confessed before as I have preached this text, that as I got into Psalm 34, two songs came to my mind. One is a stupid little song from 1988. How old were you in 1988? Josh, were you born yet? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You probably remember this song because you're quite the musical man. Was anybody else in here alive in 1988? Yeah. Okay, a couple. Okay. So I'm not as old as I thought, but you know, I'm always surrounded by really young people and I'm always the oldest guy in the room, so I, I don't ever take it for granted. But in 1980, this little pop song went to number one in the States. It's called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Bobby McFerrin. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's stupid. Okay? Um, one little line from the song. The landlord says your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. I mean, what does that mean? What does that mean? How, how is that helpful? <laughs> how is that helpful in any possible way? <laughs> you know, it's just vacuous. It's inane. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you have to go deep. But I've done that. and It's just cotton candy. You know, the wisdom of the world is just cotton candy, right? It's all sugar and air, right? There's nothing there. Ultimately, you can't sink your teeth into it. But why does a Christian not worry? You know, as opposed to Bobby McFerrin's fun little pop song, we have good reason not to worry. What is it? 
Our God is God. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says it six times, so I'm going to read it to you. Do not be anxious for your life. Do not be anxious for what you will eat. Do not be anxious about what you shall drink. Do not be anxious about what you shall wear. Do not be anxious about your lifespan. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. God says, stop it! I'm the God of the Psalms. And I'm all in with you, Psalm 34. I'm all in with you. Do you know that worry and anxiety is backhanded blasphemy? If you claim to be a Christian, it's backhanded blasphemy to God. Jesus says, stop it. And then He gives you the warrant. The reason to stop is that He is who He is. In Psalm 34, He's all in. Right? He is all in. Jesus is talking about something. Yeah, He's talking about Himself. He's our rock. Jesus says, don't keep worrying. Your Father knows you need all of this stuff. Your Father knows. You know, it always comes back to trust. We sang it. The Lauren Daigle song. It always comes back to trust, right? It always does. <laughs> if you can't give up your worry, you just don't trust your God. Okay? Let's just be honest. I just don't trust my God. I don't think He's capable. I don't think He's able. I don't think He's a promise keeper. I really don't. Or I could lay my head down at night and go to sleep. What is Jesus' prescription to avoid worry and anxiety? He gives us the prescription. It's not simply, you know, stop worrying. He gives us a prescription. What is it? Does anybody remember? Seek ye first me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek me. It's what I've been talking to you about. Building and, 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 and you know, cultivating all in your life. When you're seeking God... You will be cultivating awe in your life. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you every good thing. I love how the Message Bible paraphrases that Matthew 6 text. It says, don't be preoccupied with getting, with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Stop worrying about the, 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 the getting and and look at God's giving. I love that. He says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provision. It's what the Lord is saying. Don't worry, be happy. It's a stupid little song. Don't worry, trust God. You can live on that. You can live a fearless life of faith on that. You can be what God means for you to be, which is, you know, bold and courageous in the world. <laughs> right? It's what He's called us to be. There's another song I made, that made me think of as I read the text, and I'll get into the text in a minute. It's an African-American hymn. Um, Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. Some of you that's been around for a while, you've heard me talk about this. I love this song. Some of you may not understand. That is an African-American southern dialect. What does it mean? Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. It means Psalm 34. That's what it means. So as we go through the psalm, I want you to understand that nobody loves you 
like Jesus Christ. So, as we've been looking at the unsearchable greatness of Yahweh, I'm exhorting you to do this. If you will do this, if you will be cultivating awe in your life, you'll never be in danger of living a superficial life. You'll never be in danger of wasting your life. If you're looking at the awesome God of the Psalms, and you're building your life around Him, <laughs> yeah, it's, you can't live small anymore. You just can't do it. You, know? you, you can't live small if you're looking at this God. And you believe what Psalm 34 says. You actually believe that He is all in. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. You can write it in your Bibles. Some of you are too spiritual to write in your Bibles. My Bible's a disaster. I've had it for 30 years and it's a complete disaster. Some pages I can barely read. But uh, I do write in my Bible things I don't ever want to forget. Okay, I'm going to give you a summary of Psalm 34, then we'll go through the text, okay? Here's, I want you to hear these things. God says to His people, I hear you. I will answer you. I will deliver you. I will save you. I will encamp around you. I will rescue you. You will suffer no ultimate want. My eyes are toward you. My ears are open to you. I will be near to you. I will keep you. I will redeem your soul. Yeah, if God is for us, who can be against us? And God tells us explicitly in Psalm 34 that He is with us. So verses 1-3, through Psalm 34, a psalm of David. God... David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. I, uh, His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Okay, I want you to tell me when I get through reading these three verses, what's he talking about? The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. What's he talking about here? What's David talking about? What I've been calling you to for six or seven weeks now. Worship. This is just worship, right? The psalmist is worshiping the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. He's looking at the unsearchable greatness of God and he is provoked, right? Listen, if you study the Bible and you're not provoked, you're not studying it right. You know, you should be provoked to worship. You should be provoked to, to obey. You should be provoked to follow. You should be provoked to be in love, to be thankful, to be full of joy and thanksgiving. I don't care how hard it is. Listen, if you're not provoked, you're not reading it right. You're just simply not reading the Word of God right. So, we've seen it several times in the Psalms now. David says, I will bless the Lord. It means I will salute, I will praise, I will adore, I will bow down. It's what David is saying. It's just worship. Did you notice? David says, your praise will what? Be on my mouth Sunday. No. What does he say? Your praise will what? Be what? Continually. What is it? What's the implication? It's a lifestyle. 
Christianity is a lifestyle. It's not a Sunday thing. If you think it's a Sunday thing, you've not understood what it is. It's not a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. It's a 24-7 thing. Your praise is continually on my mouth. My whole life is worship. My marriage is worship. My kids, the way I raise them is worship. My work is worship. The way I surf the internet is worship. It's all worship. This is what God means for life to be. I think we often forget this. That somehow, you know, we're, we're in this, we, get, we, we, we allow ourselves to think we're in this little box over here and God doesn't see us and this doesn't matter. Wrong! God does see you and it does matter. All of life is to be worshipped. David says, I will bless His name and I will praise Him. This is not a Sunday ritual. This is who He is. It's the way we'll, real Christians live. He says, my soul shall boast in the Lord. <laughs> this is no obligatory religious rhetoric. David says, I'm a God blesser. I'm a God praiser. I'm a God boaster. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase is perfect. I live and breathe God. So I'll just stop and ask you, is that, is that true of you? Would someone, some third party observer, just observing your life, you don't know they're there, they're just observing your life. Would they say that you live and breathe God? You live and breathe Jesus Christ? And listen, I'm going to say it because we've got some guests. Don't you dare call yourself a Christian and go out in the world and talk about a generic God. Okay? 85% of the world believes in some kind of God. And of course, atheism, atheism and agnosticism, it's only a different kind of fundamentalism. Okay? Don't go out there and talk about a generic God. You talk about Jesus Christ. Okay? You magnify Christ. Let His name be continually on your lips in the world. That's what Christians are called to do. So this is no Sunday habit for, or we'll put it in David's context, no uh, Sabbath habit for David. Magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord, he says. With me. Do it with me. Let us exalt together. What's he talking about? Corporate worship, right? This is what Christians do, right? Of course, Old Testament context, it's what they did at the tabernacle or, or the temple. In the New Testament context, it's what we do in the church. It's in our born-again DNA. Sunday's the day He came out of the tomb. Of course we're going together and remember and rejoice and be filled with anticipation of what He's prepared for us. So the, the believer builds his week around Sunday. You know, Sunday's not on the bubble. It's not tentative for me. Sunday is the day I magnify the Lord with God's people. It's not on the bubble. It's not tentative. And I, I understand there's sometimes, there's sometimes when you can't be here. I get it. I get it. I get that. But it's a priority. It's a priority for us. Corporate worship is not a negotiable thing. It's a thing we love. It's a thing we need. It's a thing we hunger and thirst for. Verses 4-7. to seven. Listen, listen to Him. I, listen, listen to the... 
Listen to these words. I sought the Lord and He what? Answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. I sought the Lord and He answered. This is how I, I witness to people, right? I don't get them to pray the prayer because you can't find the prayer in the Bible. When I'm talking to someone about salvation, I don't try to get them to pray the prayer. Um, you actually can't find this kind of language in the Bible. What I tell them to do is Jeremiah 29. Seek the Lord with all your heart and you will find Him. There'll not be one man or woman, boy or girl, on the last day, saying to God, I sought you with all my heart, but I couldn't find you. That's never, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. Okay? We have God's promise. And this is the promise I give to those who are seeking God. You seek for Him with all your heart, you will find Him. You will find Him. What an amazing, beautiful promise. David is right. The true seeker of God finds God. David says, I sought Him and He answered. God never doesn't answer those who truly seek Him. Now we know that there are many who seek Him in some pseudo-religious sense. God is unimpressed. But a true heart crying out to God will always be heard and will always be answered. So, I just thought of Psalm 56. David says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in You. In God whose Word I praise, in God, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? God, in, God the angel of the Lord, it's just a, a long you know, title, Old Testament title for God Himself. It's Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, encamps around those who fear Him and He rescues them. Okay? We say, Jim, wait a minute. You told us last week that there are at least 100,000 Christian martyrs in the world a year. No, it's 10,000, I'm sorry. Some estimates go as high as 100 or, or more. Well, what about them? Did God rescue them? Listen, you have to understand we're talking about spiritual promises here. <laughs> okay? In the ultimate sense, yes. And you always just have to look at Stephen. When Stephen was stoned, God came to him. Jesus, the, the, the clouds split and there he was. There was Jesus standing at the right hand of God meeting his first martyr. So we have to understand that these are spiritual promises. And I love verse 5. They looked at him and what? Someone tell me from the text. They looked at him and what? Radiant. Radiant. So are you are you radiant in the world? What possible reason could you have for not being radiant in the world? There is no good reason. If you know Him and you love Him and you walk with Him and you meditate on Him and fellowship with Him, and there's a light in you. Right? If you're His, there's a light in you. We know this is why the world hates 
Jesus and his followers because they loved the darkness, John chapter 3. But there's a light in us, right? And yes, sometimes we, we get the persecution for it. The world hates it. But we are radiant, beloved. Even Stephen, when he was being stoned, you know, he was worshiping the Lord. So there's a radiance that cannot be stolen from us. The literal Hebrew is they looked expectantly to him and became bright. And I just want to say, we have as Christians a confident expectation and anticipation of what our God will do in us and through us. Verse 6. Um, he talks about the poor, and you know, I always hammer the prosperity gospel. We're not talking about health, wealth, and prosper temporal health, wealth, and prosperity here. We're talking about true riches. What are true riches? Luke chapter 12. What are true riches? To be rich toward God. All this other stuff's going to pass away. To be rich toward God. Luke chapter 12. Our Father has chosen gladly to give us the kingdom. You're going to have... You know, what does Jesus say? Jesus actually says it. In this life you will have troubles. This is not what He's talking about. That, that you'll never have any trouble if you claim to be a Christian. This is obviously... If you've lived very long as a Christian, you know this is true. Jesus says in this life you will have trouble. But I'm going to save you out of all the ultimate trouble. Right? The eternal trouble that you are subject to because of the sin in your life, I've taken it on Myself. I'm the all-in God. I bleed out for My people. It's the most awesome story that has ever been told in the world. And you got people who call themselves Christians and it's like, oh, I've got something more interesting to do on Sunday. I've got something more interesting to talk about. I'm not saying we can't have subordinate interests. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying he'll be first. He encamps around those who fear him. I love that. It made me think of Elisha. You know the story, right? Over in 2 Kings chapter 6. Remember the story of Elisha and his servant was afraid? Remember? What happened? Anybody remember? And Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be open, and what did the servant see? <laughs> Angel armies, right? <laughs> There's probably some in here right now. Don't be scared. God's spiritual warriors. Of course, we, only, we, we, we won't know until we get on the other side how many times they've saved us, protected us, how God has used them. But I always love that story of Elijah. Elijah says, Do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Amen? And even if it's only God with us, we're in the majority. We're in the majority. Do not fear. God says, I encamp around My people. I rescue them. Verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For to those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they 
who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. So what must we do to see that the Lord is good? What must, what must we do? Someone tell me. What must we do? We must what? Trust Him. There's, a, there's another act here. Taste. Oh, taste. You know, this is not navel-gazing in Kumbaya. Alright? Real Christianity is doing the Word. It's always doing the Word. Right? Taste! How do you taste? How do you find out that God is good? Well, you claim His promise and you believe it and you live it. That's how you find out God is good. I can give you testimony 35 years for me. God is good. I have tasted His faithfulness on the mountaintop and deep in the valley, and He is good. I give you my testimony. The Word of God says it. That should be enough, but if you need you know, uh, a witness to corroborate it, I've walked with Jesus for 35 years. He's good in the valley, and He's good on the mountaintop. But you've got to taste. This is not brain dead academia. Christianity is not academic. I tell you this all the time. It's not just believing right things. <laughs> the devil believes the right things. It's allowing those things to change your heart and your life. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. Ever. And if you get a real taste of the bread of life, that being Jesus Christ, yeah, you just can't settle anymore, man. You can't live like the world anymore. It's just not interesting. Right? I've told you that. It's just not interesting. I find the world principally boring. Divorced, you know, separated off from God, there's just, at my advanced age, And so you, all you are so young, you still think, well, there's still stuff out there that's going to make, make, make it really happen for me, man. I'm telling you, as an old man, I'm trying to just give you some good counsel. Only God will fill your soul. Everything else is a lie. It doesn't mean you won't have subordinate pleasures. God gives us many subordinate pleasures. But only God can fill your soul. And then David starts talking about the fear of the Lord. And I know um, that... Um, this sounds scary to the nominal Christian or the unbeliever. But this is what I've been talking about for six weeks. Yes, fear God. You know, if you were here last week, of course, fear the God of vengeance, the God of vengeance who judges the world. Yes, of course, fear Him. <laughs> Judgment is coming, but I'm going to give you like, I don't know, eight. Okay? Eight scriptural references about fearing God. I want you to hear the benefits of fearing God. Some of you have been around for a while. You've heard this before. But here we go. If you want the references, email me. I'll send them to you. I'm not going to take the time to give them to you. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. The watch care of the Lord is for those who fear Him. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. That's the verse I'm on right now. Again, in verse 9, we'll see in just... Well, we, we saw it. We already read it. Verse 9 of Psalm 34. Those who fear God have no want. 
Psalm 103, the Lord pities those who fear Him. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it is satisfied. The love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear Him. All of those are Psalms, except for one is a proverb. And some people... Modern Christians, they, they want to hang back from fearing God. Listen, you need to fear God. You must fear God. There are way too many blessings <laughs> not to fear God. And if you don't fear God, it's obvious you're not looking at the biblical Christ. If you're looking at the biblical Christ, there will be a proper element of awe and fear. We've been defining awe. What is it? Reverential respect, veneration, fear, and yes, that last one that almost all of us struggle with, terror. And all you got to do is read your Bible and every man that caught a glimpse of him, there was terror. He is completely other and holy. And you're just like Isaiah. You and I are just like Isaiah. He stood before the holy God and Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am undone. And Isaiah is probably way holier than you. What's my point? <laughs> yes. There's one sense that we're comfortable with our friend and brother, Jesus Christ. But there's another sense that we tremble before His utter holiness and His utter greatness. This is all part of all, beloved. There's always tension with the biblical God. There's always tension. You know, don't put Him in a little teeny box. You can't put Yahweh in a box. Let Him be who He is. Fearing God is not something to be wary of. It is something to pursue. It is the awe that we've been talking about for these last few weeks. Verse 9, let me just make a point here. This no want or lack. The obvious point here is not that we will have every temporal, every temporal thing we think we should have. That's never the point with God. God doesn't promise you everything you think you should have. He never makes that promise. But we will not lack one good thing our infinitely gracious and attentive Father has providentially deemed good for us. It's Romans 8.28. Okay? It's always that. And verse 10 amplifies the point. The king of beasts may go hungry, but God's people shall not lack any good thing. Again, I, can, I warn you, these are spiritual promises. These are spiritual promises not to be taken out of context and used by the prosperity guys. Verse 11 through 14. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. There it is again. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So David was an accomplished man. He was a musician. He was a politician. He was a poet. He was a, he was a what else was he? A soldier, a statesman. What did he teach those around him? There are so many things he could have imparted. What, is, what does he impart? Fear the Lord. So you walked in here and you haven't genuinely feared God in a long time. You know, Romans chapter 3. There is no fear of God before them. As God talks about the judgment that will fall. 
I'm saying cultivate the awe. Cultivate the awe. Cultivate the fear of the Lord. The proper fear of the Lord. The proper fear of God. It's, it's what we need. Some of you are not convinced this is true. Um, the Proverbs tell us again that it is the beginning of wisdom. That Jesus is wisdom come down. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And Jesus is the wisdom come down. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is all the treasure of wisdom come down. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and Colossians 2. I'm saying to you, cultivate this in your life. Cultivate this in your life. Verse 12, let the man who desires life, length of days, and good things play religious games with God. Let him be a good church attender. (laughs) That's not what it says, is it? It's not what it says. That's not what it says. If you desire life, love, and love length of days, and may see good, do what? Verses 13 and 14. In a sense, I'm going to, make it, I'm going to cut to the chase. 13 and 14. Obey the Word of God. Okay? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Do the Word of God. Just do the Word of God. Christianity is always simple. It's doing the Word of God. You know one of my favorite verses, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's just bam. It's just what it is. It's just you can't hide from that. Jesus says it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verses 15 to 20. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their, all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him, delivers him out of them all. He keeps all His bones. Not one of them is broken so this is our all in god his eyes are toward us his ears are open he hears our cries verse 17 he delivers us verse 17 he is near verse 18 he saves verse 18 he delivers us verse 19 out of all our afflictions he's the all in god i heard one theologian say it like this it's kind of modern vernacular um, he said God leans in to aid His children. Of course, God doesn't need to lean in, that's, but it's a metaphor. I thought of Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And then we see verse 16. What we've been seeing in almost every psalm, God's judgment of the wicked, those who are in rebellion against Him. We're talking about eternal banishment here. We talked a lot about that last week. Destruction is not annihilation, as some false teachers would tell you. Destruction is eternal banishment in in hell. It's an eternal conscious punishment. It's what the Bible clearly teaches. I know many people who call themselves Christians don't like it. They won't hear it. And as we talked about last week, 
Many so-called Christians will stand in judgment over the Word of God. Even many denominations stand up over judgment of the Word of God because they don't like what it says. And we had a long discussion about that last week. I won't rehash it. I was listening to D.A. Carson about this judgment thing. I loved what he said. He said, a wrathless God does not make God more attractive. It makes Him morally indifferent. And one thing you can be sure of, if you read through the Bible, God is not morally indifferent. Okay, that's one thing you'll come away with. You'll be sure that Yahweh is not morally indifferent. The whole world wants a wrathless God. Beloved, there is not one. Now, you may have some false God in your head, but He's not the biblical God. I'm, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. I'm working on this next book, and it's like I just want to feel the awe of God in all of these Old Testament passages. And man, you just start reading through the Minor Prophets, and it's like, yeah, He's not unapologetic. He will judge His enemies. Destruction is coming. You know, if you, if you kind of have this uh, milk toast view of God, you need to read the Bible. You won't have that view of Him anymore. It's like we talked about last week, right? If you get a picture of the biblical God, you'll worship or you'll flee. You know? You're not going to hang around unless you love Him. Unless you know Him. Unless you trust Him. So, verse 17. We see God's attentiveness, attentiveness to His children. We see it again and again and again in the Psalms. And I just want to make this point. Sometimes God delivers. Sometimes God doesn't deliver. Don't listen to these false teachers that you can name it and claim it. These guys are false teachers. Let them be accursed, Paul says. Anyone who preaches a different gospel, let them be accursed. And you can mark it down. They will be accursed of God. Sometimes God delivers, sometimes He doesn't. This is His sovereign prerogative. You can like it or not like it. It doesn't matter. God runs the universe the way it pleases Him, not you and me. And we talked about it last week. Go, go download the, the sermon. There's a lot of reasons people don't like the God of the Bible. Well, this is one of them. Okay? Sometimes He delivers, sometimes He doesn't. But you know, you know what He does for those who are not delivered? For, His, for those that He doesn't deliver in a temporal sense, you know what he, he meets them there. And He satisfies them there. And in a way, that's more powerful. You know? Kill me if you want, but I love Him! That's a more powerful testimony than, look, God made me rich. He might make you rich. But would you love Him if it came to martyrdom? Would you still claim this God who made you rich? It's a much more powerful testimony. It's a much more powerful testimony. The Lord delivers us out from the ultimate and spiritual calamities. So, verses 18, 19, and 20. Sometimes we're broken hearted. Sometimes we're crushed in spirit. Sometimes we're afflicted. And this is all real, right? Sometimes spouses 
leave. Sometimes they're unfaithful. Sometimes children die. Sometimes we get cancer. Sometimes friends betray us. Sometimes jobs are lost. Sometimes we are persecuted for our faith. Sometimes we are victims of crime and calamity. Sometimes the dream simply never comes true. None of that changes the God of Psalm 34. Listen, I hate this modern thing about loving God because He can give me stuff. I hate this. I hate this. It's blasphemy to God that you would love Him just because He can give you stuff. It has nothing to do with the Bible. He may give you a lot of stuff. (laughs) He's not obliged to. He's really only obliged to give you justice. You deserve justice. I deserve justice. That's all God owes you is justice. Oh, but wait! He's on the cross bleeding out. And your Christianity is a small thing? I don't think so. If you really believe it, it is not a small thing. It's never a small thing. It's always the most important thing in your life. I still remember I'm done. Back in uh, 2009, I walked in... uh, you know, just to give you some personal... I mentioned her last week. She liked it. My wife. You, if you were here last week, you remember I said I loved her and she's awesome. She liked it. It worked out well for me. Um, but it's true. It's true. Back in 2009, she was diagnosed with cancer, uh, breast cancer, and I, I walked into the bedroom and she was sitting in this chair she sits in. And she was reading A.W. Pink's book called The Attributes of God. She and I went through this book when we first met together, and uh, tears coming down her face, she says, I love this book. And here's what she read to me. Written by Pink. Here's the sure resting place for the believer. Our lives are never the product of blind fate nor the result of capricious chance, but every detail of them was ordained from all eternity and is now ordered by the living and reigning God. Not a hair of our heads can be touched without His permission. And Karen had written in the margin of of, uh, uh, the book there, right there by that paragraph, she says, all that comes to me comes to me by my Father's, comes through my Father's hands. Amen? This is what believers know. Health, wealth, and prosperity, don't bore me with that. And don't blaspheme God with that. Don't waste the cancer. We talked about it last week. When the trial comes, God is here. And God needs to give Himself to you in a new way. Can you believe Him like that? Can you trust Him like that? Do you believe anything He said in Psalm 34 yet? Do you believe any of it? I believe it. I've lived it. I believe it. If you'll hold on with Him. You know, what was it? Jacob, he wouldn't let go of the Lord until what? Remember they wrestled and Maybe not in the way you want, but in the way that you need. Verse 21 to 22, evil shall slay the wicked. You know, this is just reap what you sow. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of His servants, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. So don't worry, be happy. It's a stupid little pop song from the 80s. It's cotton candy. Don't worry, trust God. That'll take you right into eternity. 
I'm just going to rehash Psalm 34 and I'm done. Same summary I gave you to begin with. I don't want you to forget this. God says, I'm all in with my people. I hear you. I will answer you. I will deliver you. I will save you. I will encamp around you. I will rescue you. You will suffer no want, ultimate want. My eyes are toward you. My ears are open to you. I will be near you. I will keep you. I will redeem your soul. (laughs) How can we not worship a God like this? Amen? He's the all-in God. So I'm just going to ask you the obvious question. Are you all in with Him? That's really the, the question I'll leave you with. He's all in with His people. Are you all in with Him? Listen, once you let go, once you have your hands open with God, God stuff starts to happen, man. If you're playing a game with Him, nothing interesting is going to happen. If your hands are open and just giving your life to God, this God who's all in with you, I mean, come on! What do I have to say? Come on! It's the best invitation you've ever got. Right? This awesome God. I think I'm done. I need to stop. Let me pray for a minute. Can we sing? Okay. All right, let me pray. Lord, we love You. We praise You. Beautiful, beautiful, compelling, desirable, wonderful God, we praise You. We are in awe of You. We are in awe of Your promises. Thank You for Psalm 34. We are free. We are free to be Your people, to be Your sons, to be Your daughters. We are free. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.